Welcome back, everybody, to Laying the Points with Farley Betts. This podcast is brought to you, or being sponsored by, I should say, BetRivers.com for 100% sign-up bonus up to $250. Please use the promo code FarleyOdds. That's F-A-R-L-E-Y-O-D-D-S. Terms, conditions, and location apply. That's FarleyOdds at BetRivers.com. What's going on, everybody? Chris Farley here, a.k.a. Farley Bets, doing the old Summer Series podcast today, another edition of it. We're going to talk a little bit about power ratings and why they're important, why they're not the end-all, be-all, but why they're really important. And we're going to talk a little bit also about one of the factors that I consider that I don't see a lot of other handicappers considering, but I think is really important to consider in, in any sport, but especially in the NBA and the NFL. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that factor today and an intangible that I try to measure that helps me in my sports betting, just so you get an idea of the way that I handicap. Hopefully it interests most of you. We'll give away also a free WNBA pick on today's show. Been doing pretty well in the old WNBA, eh? I, uh, let's see, let me bring up my records here by my side. I am 5-2 and two for plus 3.3 units in the WNBA so far on a 3-0 and o streak right now. And it's just kind of cool to figure out another short sport that has a short season in the summer. You know, something to occupy my time a little bit before NFL starts and while I do my NFL prep. Uh, and there's a lot there's a lot to expose in this market in the, in the WNBA. I feel like there's there's a little bit too too many inflated lines. Uh, totals are kind of all over the place. Of course, Kate Constable talked about that on our last show. So plenty to talk about with the WNBA, but I'm just going to give away one pick. Can't give them all away for our premium customers. That's reserved for our premium customers, obviously. And on that note, check us out at theoddsbreakers.com and check out my page on theoddsbreakers.com, which you can get uh, fantastic discounts on my premium picks right now in the NFL and the NBA and both for the month, for the year. Check it out because these discounts are not going to last forever. And check us out at theoddsbreakers.com on social media and at theoddsbreakers.com where all the great writers and podcasts that we do over there. Of course, follow me at Farley Betts as well across all social media. Just uh, started a new role with the 33rd team as well. So check out what we're doing over there. Just a lot going on. A lot going on for all Farley Betts. Uh, and very grateful to be here with all of you on this Oddsbreakers podcast channel to talk more sports betting stuffs. All right. First, let's talk about power ratings. So you probably hear pro sports bettors talk about power ratings a lot. They refer to their power ratings. Oh, my power ratings have this game at minus two or minus three or in the NBA, minus eight and a half, something like that, right? So pro handicappers will refer to power ratings all the time, and everybody builds them a little differently, right? The factors that a pro handicapper takes into account, uh, you know, that varies, um, and, and we weigh our factors differently, right? I would probably argue that the best sports bettors, handicappers out there have really accurate power ratings that they could very easily and confidently measure up against what the sports books offer. And then they probably feel like they have an immediate edge, right? Something, sometimes it's an auto bet because if your power ratings say that this team is this many points better than another team, and the sports book has it two, three, four points off, like for like an NFL line, 
you obviously have a huge edge, right? It's going to be really tough for you to not take that bet. But one perspective I want to offer here is that power ratings should not be used as biblical truth. At least not, not in my mind, they shouldn't. They should evolve throughout the season and act as a rubric for your wagers, as a foundation, right? In my case, I choose six different factors for my power ratings. Um, and, you know, a part of that is because on any given Sunday, or I guess I should say Saturday, Monday, or Thursday in the minor NFL, there are just so many elements to consider about a, about a given bet. You know, some of those elements include desperation, motivation, the scheduling spot, consideration of the rivalry, if it is one, weather, injuries, are there incentives, all, all kinds of things. And I'm going to talk about one of those other probably more ancillary factors that sports bettors probably don't use that I use a little bit later. But the important thing is that you use your power ratings to compare your own prognosis and then alter them accordingly throughout the season, right? So they should be evolving. As you get more intel, as you watch more film, you watch more games, these power ratings should be in evolving throughout the year. And let me just share one of my power ratings. I just got finished updating the AFC East last night, so their power ratings are fresh in my mind. And let me just describe for the maybe the beginning betters out there who are wondering if they want to put more time and attention into, into becoming a pro handicapper, or just for your average sports better out there who maybe just wants to develop their own informal, simple version of power ratings, maybe using my method or some aspects of my method can help you. So I told you that I use six different factors. The first factor in the NFL, so we're talking about NFL power ratings here, is starting quarterback. The reason why I say starting quarterback is you you know you can't just say quarterback because as we know most teams have multiple quarterbacks on their team, right? But the backup quarterback probably doesn't deserve much merit. I mean, in most cases the backup quarterback is not going to be able to greatly change the trajectory of his team. Uh, you know, they're a backup for a reason and I think most of us would argue that there's probably at most 10 to 15 quarterbacks in the NFL who we could say are real true franchise quarterbacks who do the job like all teams would want them to do the job. All owners, coaches, GMs would want out of their quarterback because the vast majority of quarterbacks that exist in the NFL from backups to starters are not that type of quarterback. It's just a rare trait, right? Starting quarterbacks need to have uh, leadership skills, poise, uh, they need to be very sharp, very smart, high football IQ, know everything on the field that's going on in offense and defense, not to mention all the physical attributes of arm strength, accuracy, right, reading defenses, and being able to put touch on the ball, like things like that. Um, and increasingly in the NFL, probably ability to either scramble, run, or just be really fluid in the pocket. So starting quarterback is among one of the – my heaviest factors uh, that goes into power rating NFL football. Second for me is coaches, you know, most prominently the head coach, but just the coaching staff in general. I think, I mean, I wouldn't even consider this in the NBA. I think there are some coaches that do make a difference on their NBA teams, but in the NFL, it's still very much a coach and quarterback driven league and coaches can make or break a team. We see it every year and what Bill Belichick does for the Patriots, for a bunch of 
no names for the most part, especially lately on their offense, but he finds ways and certainly finds ways on defense to bring the best out of those players, right? Whereas other other coaches, if we're staying, I mean, I'm talking a lot of AFC East right now, but if we're staying in the AFC East, Robert Sala, okay, he's, he's entering another season as the Jets coach. First year didn't go as well as he, he wanted it to, that's for sure. Um, but there's really no evidence to suggest that he has any real, true, um, you know, authority, like, I don't, I don't I don't know I don't know how much he's going to change for the Jets in the future. Uh so I put coaches in there, array coaches for teams because I think it makes a huge difference. Then offense and defense, I take into account on offense of course their skilled players, wide receiver, running back, but also and probably most significantly their offensive lines. Um if they have great skilled players but they have bad offensive lines, that's going to make a huge difference in in my rating for that category. And vice versa, right? If they have an excellent offensive line but not a lot of skill players, eh, you need both. We need both in the modern NFL because you have to protect the most important person on the field and the quarterback, and everything stems from there. And then, of course, defense, right? Same thing. Secondary, linebackers, defensive line, all incorporated in a defensive rating. And then I have two intangibles here. Chemistry and leadership is one, and toughness and consistency is another. I include these in my power ratings because I think in the NFL, these are the more intangible factors that matter more than most others. And that you can kind of figure out and rate per team. You know, none of this is going to be an exact science, right? Because you're rating it yourself based on your own, uh, you know, grade of measurements, your own numbers. You know, so in my case, it's from zero to 100. And bad teams like the Jets and the Bears and these factors and categories can have scores as low as in the 20s, 10s, 30s. Like it's not like a test, right? It's not like every team's going to get an A, B, or a C. Now, if your team sucks, you're, a lot of these factors are going to be in the 20s, 30s, 40s. Um, if you're a mid-tier team, it's going to be 40s, 50s, 60s. If you're a top-tier team, it's going to be 70s, 80s, 90s. And the reason why I do it on a 100-point scale is just for more nuance and to be able to – you know, it's it's just a little more nuance uh, to bigger digits, right? So, for example, for the Dolphins, my overall power rating is sixty six point one. Um, to me, that just it's better than six point one. You know, you could do the same thing, but essentially, what I'm saying is, if a team with a sixty six rating, let's say, goes up against a team with a ninety five rating, then the team with a ninety five rating on a neutral field should be at least three points better than the team with the 66 rating. And usually, based on home field, uh, momentum, motivation, any kind of um, you know more ancillary situational things, that'll boost those lines up even more, right? So these lines are foundational on a neutral field objective. Well, they're objective according to me without any kind of like – situational factors taking into consideration so just to go real quickly and show you what i do for power ratings so for the dolphins then this is i think this is being really kind but starting qb i have it at 68 for tua and i probably need to adjust that a little lower if i'm being honest now that i'm you know reading through this um but he can't be graded as a top tier quarterback just yet 
he also has no excuses this year, right? I mean, this offense is potentially going to be super talented, super fast. But he is humble. He's focused. He seems to be very value-driven, a good leader. And let's face it, he won. I mean, he won in Alabama. Uh, he's a winner. That's what he's used to. So I give him a 68. I might knock that down a few pegs, actually. But I give the starting QB a 68 for the Dolphins. Coaches, a 66. Uh, I'm pretty excited to see what new head coach Mike McDaniel can do with this offense. He's got a very self-deprecating style, which is typically appreciated in football cultures. Seems very sharp. But but a lot of things are still pending, right? So, again, I think I'm being very nice to the, to the Dolphins here. And this is actually a great example. I, I'm, I'm glad that I'm reading this on the podcast because I think I might have to make a few more adjustments. But for a coach who's brand new, I think there's there's a ton of potential here uh, for a guy that just seems really sharp coming from that San Francisco tree, uh, you know, where he did some fantastic things with the San Francisco offense, very creative. So if he can just even offer a dollop of that creativity for the Dolphins, that should make a huge difference for them especially with the weapons that they have. And as I grade their offense as a 78. I mean, there's no doubt that they have a ton of upside, right? Tyreek, the free kill, should add some much-needed space to their passing game. Jalen Waddell took on a wide receiver number one role for the Dolphins in much of 2021, but he should be much more comfortable in this role. Chase Edmonds, Raheem Moster, speed, 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 right? They got a lot of speed on this team. And with McDaniel's mind for scheming creative plays, we shall see, right? This is all theoretical at this point, but there's a lot to there's a lot to believe in that this Miami offense should be a lot better. Teron um, Teron 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 Armstead is also a huge upgrade for them on the offensive line uh, because last year's O line was very disappointing. So hopefully they get some better results there. Defense, I give them a 65. I think the Miami defense will take a hit this year, actually. I mean, Brian Flores was, if nothing else, a huge catalyst for their defense, a big reason why their defense was able to keep their his team in so many games in years past. Not that that mentality is going to be completely lost, but Mike McDaniel isn't a defensive mind, and there'll be more pressure on their defense if their offense starts producing at a higher level. So I actually knocked down their defense a little bit. Their secondary is good, but in reality, mediocre in most data points last season. Their defensive line was good, but mostly average uh, acquisitions and Emmanuel Ogba and Melvin Ingram III should help. But, um, you know, still we we have to see what this defense is going to look without Flores. So I give them a 65. Chemistry and leadership of 58. It's all just too new to grade that high. They have plenty of veteran additions, though, that should help them overcome some challenges. But I expect the Dolphins to kind of start off slow and get better as the season progresses. That's why I like the Patriots in week one to win in Miami. Little little hint, hint, nudge, nudge there for a week one bet. Money line, you can still get on the Patriots if you didn't get that plus three. And toughness and consistency. Uh, you know, similar to the above in chemistry and leadership, we're grading this slightly higher because many of the practices and methods behind Flora's success should remain with this team, but we don't know if that's going to happen. So I give him a 62 in that. So, you know, looking back, and this is why we go through our power ratings over and over and over again. Again, they should evolve. Um, but I give them overall a 66.1 rating. That is uh, third best in the AFC East. I still give the Patriots a slightly better rating. They're in the 70s. The Bills are, I believe, around 93. 
So clearly the best team in the AFC East. I think most people would agree with that. But that's just an example of what I do with my power ratings. And again, they're a foundation, right? They're a floor. They're a guideline or guidance on how to approach these games this season. It shouldn't be the end-all be-all, especially, I mean, we're in July, right? So you can't sit here and be like, yep, these are my power ratings, brother. And they're going to hold me, they're going to hold me to the freaking fire. I almost said something else all year because they're dead on. Nah, probably not. You know, you need to evolve. You need to adjust. And even reading that, I want to adjust Miami's a little bit as well. But I, I do think that my ratings, particularly with coaching, offense, maybe even defense could go up as the season goes on for the Miami Dolphins. Okay, let's talk about something else now. And that's one of those intangibles that I use in my betting, in my handicapping, and uh, rather, leadership. I talk a lot about leadership. Why? Because in the major sports that I handicap, the NFL and the NBA, leadership is really, really important. And fortunately, we get to watch these same superstars, these same players, night in, night out, week in, week out, for years on end, right? Because they're pro players, they stay in their pro leagues, and we're going to kind of get to measure their human behaviors, their tendencies. Despite what other handicappers will tell you, it's not all about numbers. It's also about behavioral tendencies, sociological observations of these teams and kind of the things that they do on a year-to-year basis. And listen, there's a number of different factors to consider when you think about leadership that could mean the future success or lack thereof for your NFL and NBA teams. And let me just explain a little bit. So when you think about leadership, what does that mean? Well, in the NFL, it mostly means the coach and the quarterback, right? Usually the relationship between the coach and the quarterback, too, is very important. We've seen that with Aaron Rodgers in the past. We've seen that with Baker Mayfield. We've seen that in a really positive way with Eli Manning and Tom Coughlin. Um, Leaders have to kind of know their role, and they have to fit. They have to work well. I think Tomlin and Ben Roethlisberger did it maybe better than any two-leadership combo there ever was in the NFL, right? Big Ben was obviously the leader, the tough guy out in the field, but he didn't you know, he didn't yell at Mike Tomlin. He didn't get in a lot of fights with Mike Tomlin. He knew who was coach, right? So how does the quarterback and the coach get along and how good are they at leading their teams? Some things to think about if you're trying to measure leadership on these teams. And in the NBA, it's probably even more important, right? Because the the leaders are the superstars. So they have to be really good at what they do. But how does the player talk to the media? How does the coach talk to the media? Tom Brady has never thrown anybody on his team under the bus in 20 years in the NFL. Never. You just won't, you just won't hear Tom Brady do that. He gets in front of the media. He's all class. He's very filtered. He knows how to respond. He knows when to not respond. Compare that to somebody like Baker Mayfield. That's all he did. Right? When he got up on the on the podium. These press conferences after a win, whoo, I'm feeling dangerous, baby. Real cocky, almost snobby, right? And when things didn't go right, uh, kind of blaming the coaches, blaming the wide receivers, blaming, oh, we got to do better. Not always blaming himself. Now, he's grown a little bit in that. But what does that do to a team when your leader is calling you out, calling your coaches out? It ain't good. 
someone like Kirk Cousins, I feel like it's kind of somewhat in between, right? Kirk, he can go off every now and then, but he's a pretty good leader probably. I think his teammates like him for what we can see. What about Aaron Rodgers? Kind of comes off as a snob. And good thing Matt LaFleur, it seems like they figured out a pretty good method for their relationship. I think LaFleur just probably gets out of his way a lot of the time. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is clearly a really bright guy, but as a leader, I don't know. He he, he tends to act like he's just better than everybody else. That's, that's not a leader. How about off-the-field antics? Jameis Winston, previous charges. Deshaun Watson, charges. Lord knows. Baker Mayfield was chased down by a cop. Chased down by a cop and caught, by the way. He's a pro athlete. He was caught. Um, <laughs> in college, previous bad behavior. When your leader is behaving in a certain negative way off the field, what does that do to a team? Well, shit, man. I mean, that guy's just going to do whatever he wants. He's not, you know, I don't, I don't know if I want to follow that guy. If you don't think these kind of things matter in pro sports, you're fooling yourself. On the field antics, tendencies. Do these leaders get penalties, personal fouls? Do they back down from other players or do they show toughness? Are they poised in big moments? Talk all the crap you want about Eli Manning. I mean, I feel like less people are talking shit about Eli Manning right now because he's hilarious, right? He's on the Manning cast. Everybody knows him a little better. But people used to make fun of Eli all the time because he looked soft. He looked like a big baby out there. But in those big game moments, few quarterbacks in the NFL in NFL history, really, I could argue, were better than Eli Manning. You put Eli Manning in the playoffs, look out. Mentality, poise. They set the tone for the entire team. I talked about it before. What about their relationship with the coach? Is there mutual respect? Who leads who? Do they have the same values, the same ideas? Are they all on the same page? These are things that we can observe. Nonverbals, verbals, <laughs> the, the effects of a given game plan, how annoyed or upset the quarterback looks on the field. And then, of course, relationship with players and relatability. What's the chemistry like? I would argue that someone like Josh Allen and his Buffalo Bills have some of the highest chemistry I've ever seen on an NFL team. It's one of the reasons why I like them to have a really great year because the Buffalo Bills are, I mean, not only are they loaded, but they believe. They believe in each other. They believe in their leadership and Sean McDermott and Josh Allen. They got leaders on defense. That's a good team. How about influence? All leadership is, is influence. You don't have to be in a big position. It could be informal. But if you're influencing people, you're a leader. How good are these players and coaches? How, how adept are they at influencing their teams? Ben and Tomlin, like I said, I think they did it really well. Tom and Bill, really well. And I give probably most credit to Tom in that case because Evidently, Bill Belichick's probably not the easiest personality to get along with. But Tom Brady, even though he's the greatest quarterback of all time, he knew his role. LeBron and Frank Vogel. Hmm. It was a good relationship at first. It was a good relationship in the bubble. But that's probably because Frank Vogel just got out of the way. And now we see Frank Vogel got fired. You know, LeBron, I guess, not in his good favor or 
the opposite. <laughs> um, so, you know, if you're not, if you're not in cahoots with LeBron, you're probably going to be fired. You know, that's, that's the weird thing about the NBA. It's a superstar driven league, but let me just show you some of the ratings that I give some individual players and coaches from a leadership perspective, Kevin Durant, 75. And he is an, an all world superstar. Don't get me wrong. Kevin Durant has, has showed up clutch in many big game situations. I'm not saying he's not, but is he relatable? Does he create chemistry with his players? Does he have respect for his players and coaches off the field antics? Are you kidding me? Or off the court antics? I should say the way he talks to the media. Hmm. Pretty ego-filled, if you ask me. Not egoless. And I don't think he sets a great example. What about CP3? I give him an 88. Really good leader. Really good leader. He gets a little frustrated. He gets a little emotional. But for the most part, he is the OG. He is the leader on the court for the Suns. And he's the biggest reason why the Suns turned around their team for the past two years. Because he came over and he gave them organization. He gave them veteran experience. Again, a lot of people love to talk shit about LeBron. I think a lot of it uh, is is very legit. But as a leader, I, I mean, I give LeBron a 97 because you know he goes to a team, everybody listens to him. He can take over games. Um, he's the smartest guy on the court. He's the biggest dude on the court. He commands a presence. Most coaches just get out of his way. Now, you could also argue, though, that he could be very divisive, right? If, I mean, if him and a, a coach don't get, a wrong, get along, he could be very divisive. But I still give him very high marks in leadership. Josh Allen, 92. Aaron Rodgers, 71. Enough said. Eli Manning, 86. Andy Reid, 82. Sean McVay, 96. Why Andy Reid only 82? Well, you know, I've read a little bit about Andy Reid and his tenure on the Eagles, and he was just allowing everybody to eat junk food the whole time. I mean, he's he's a player's coach, right? And and I think that can work out very well. But I think he's also just a sweetheart. You know, I mean, he's a sweetheart who works very hard, very serious about football, very talented on offense. But I'm not sure how relatable he is uh, to the players. He's a brilliant offensive mind, but. You know, relatability, um, I don't know, poise. I had to drop him a few marks in that. But someone like Sean McVay, I mean, at his age, especially, what is he, in his mid-30s? I think he's the same age as me, 36. Beep you, Sean McVay. How dare you be an NFL coach at my age? That's insane. But, I mean, he's a player's coach. He's brilliant, holds himself well in the media. Uh, you know, he's a winner. I mean, there's no doubt about it. So, now – do these leadership ratings, do they like, you know, do I handicap every game and do I go, oh, Aaron Rodgers, 71 leadership rating. Nah, the Bears are going to beat the Packers. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying all of these things give us foundational purviews, right? Viewpoints on how we can uh, look at a given team or a given player in, situ in certain situations, right? Leadership intangibles are going to matter more when the Packers are in the NFC conference game against the Tampa Bay Bucks. And here comes Tom Brady, who's not going to get, you know, he's not going to get flustered by anything. 
good luck, Aaron Rodgers, because those intangibles are going to be needed in every play, in every moment of that game. And we've seen what happens to Aaron Rodgers in a lot of those late season situations, kind of like what happens with Dak Prescott too, right? They just kind of fold. They just kind of crumble. They're not themselves anymore. They're not comfy anymore. They can't play safe anymore. Um, So, you know, whereas somebody like Josh Allen or Ben Roethlisberger or Patrick Mahomes, they are fighters. They're good leaders. Their team rallies around them. And if anything, and, uh, you know, Tom Brady is a quintessential example, they're going to rally their team and they're going to maximize the skill and the effort and the potentiality of that team in that game. And that's what separates a true leader and some of those players that I hold at a, at a, at a much higher rating than others. That's what separates things in those cases, right? So I'm not saying that every single game I look at these ratings like a complete dork and I'm like, oh, leadership, I got to take a few points off the Packers because Aaron Rodgers, he's not a great leader. No, I'm not saying that. But circumstantially, situationally, these things can really matter. All right, I'd like to wrap up these podcasts and keep the summer series pretty short. Let's go with my free pick in the WNBA. I like the Atlanta Dream. It's at plus 12 at some shops right now. I got at plus 11 and a half. Did not think that was going to go up. Of course, it went to 11. Now it's back to 12. The WNBA market is kind of crazy. But if you can get it at 12, I would take it. The Atlanta Dream proved in their last contest that they are fighting for a place in the WNBA playoffs. They think that they can get there. And who's to tell them any different? I mean, they just beat the Mercury. They were six-point dogs in that game, and they beat the Mercury by 10 points. Uh, and, you know, listen, the the Aces, the reason why they're favored, God, it's up to 13 at some books now. I mean, I looked at this line about an hour ago, and it was at 12. So it's moving up even more in Las Vegas. So you can get even a better line on the Dream right now. But this is the kind of, you know, this is the kind of game that the Dream are going to have circled on their schedule trying to make the playoffs. They got blown out by Las Vegas earlier this year. The score was 96 to 73 in that one. This is a really good revenge spot. Only the second time they're facing him. Yes, it's on the road. But like I said, the Atlanta dream, they're, 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 they're fighters. Um, and they lost two after the all-star break. So that last performance was what we were expecting from a team who's chasing the playoffs. I think they give their best effort against Las Vegas. Las Vegas is very comfortably in position to be the first place team in the WNBA heading into the playoffs. So it could be a sleepy spot for the aces as well. I like the dream at plus 13. You can get it now at some books, even at plus 12. I like it too, but obviously shop around and make sure you get that 13. If you can find it. All right, folks, Farley bets. This is the summer series podcast with me, your boy, Farley bets. Follow me across all social media. Check out what we're doing. I uh, can't wait, guys. The NFL season is not far away. Very excited. We'll have Steve Norman back in the podcast soon to talk more NFL. We're going to get a legend in Sherwood on the show soon. You may not know Sherwood, but you will soon, and you should know him because he's one of those guys, one of the handicappers who I followed for a long time and taught me a lot about this industry. We'll have him on soon as well. Until next time, everybody, laying the points with Farley Betts. Uh, let's win uh, some damn uh, money. <laughs>